0: Maker Minds episode number six. You don't really want to miss this. Hey, hey, and hello, hello, and welcome to the Make a Mind Show. I'm Abby. And I'm Jerry. And we are here with the Mr. Dean Todd and Mr. Pat Adams and Mr. Chris Witten, who is the founders and managers, partners, and investors for Brute, which is an industrial processing and refining company based out of Fort Worth. So, in other words, Brew provides simple solutions to complex water problems, and they do this through their energy and food and beverage industry. So, thank you guys so much for making it out here today for Maker Mind. Thanks for inviting us. I appreciate it. (laughs) So, do you guys have any gaps to fill in from that intro? Anything on your personal life? Favorite childhood toy?
1: Anything <laughs> that you
0: guys just want to tell us? That was
1: extremely impressive, actually. <laughs> yeah.
2: She needs to be our pitch
0: deck person. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I
1: need a marketing
2: job.
0: Hey, talk to me after graduation.
2: <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, to fill in the gaps, I mean, uh, the, the simple part of that is that None of us in in our wildest dreams <coughs> expected to work doing what we're doing. We didn't start off that way. We started at the other end of the spectrum. We um, we happened upon a technology that we knew had the ability to change the way uh, many different industries and systems worked. We were smart enough to know that. We just weren't really sure exactly how to do it, but it's kind of like the um, the five-year-old boy Johnny in, in Sunday school, and the teacher says, "What are you drawing?" He says, "I'm drawing a picture of God." And the school, the teacher, Sunday school teacher says, "Well, you know, honey, nobody knows what God looks like." He goes, "Well, they will in a minute." And that's sort of how we, that's sort of how we <laughs> took at uh, doing what we do. So,
0: anything else? Are you good? <laughs>
3: okay. Bring on the questions. Let's bring
0: bringing on, guys. Ready for this? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, one of the questions we had for you guys was, why brute? Why Etsy brute? You just backstabbing the companies or the other industries? How so the
2: word that? the word brute. If you ever go shopping for a garbage can, <laughs> you'll see the garbage can label of brute garbage cans. You go to mm-hmm. Home Depot or Lowe's, okay. you'll see them. You probably recognize them. We actually had uh, bought uh, three or four huge ice coolers that were sort of a knockoff of the Yeti coolers. And a company that made them in Fort Worth, we got them for a third of the price. We would have paid for Yeti coolers. And we, we had a testing facility that we were running out in West Texas. So we bought these huge coolers, and the name of the company was Brute. Well, they had to change their name because it had a clash with the garbage can company, right? So we were really exhausted. We both pulled like 17, 18, 20-hour days. We were in the oil field. It was hot. We were tired. We were exhausted. And we started talking about we were about to grab this license to use our technology in this food and beverage industry. And we were th- trying to think of a creative name. And you talk about three or four guys in coveralls and dirty from the oil patch and sitting in a mobile home out in the middle of the (coughs) West Texas desert, laughing and cutting up because we were so exhausted. And we were looking at the floor at those ice coolers that had all our water bottles and (laughs) stuff in it. And I was like, what about Brute? Because this machine is very robust and tough. And we thought, that's cool. And that's what Mm -hmm. the industry is going to want to know. Can this thing take a beating? Mm -hmm. And so we thought Brute. And then the first thing we thought about was uh, Bulldog. So that's how we got our.
1: Well, we did go through some <laughs> Cape Buffalo
2: ideas, and and uh, uh,
0: what other we tried Rams to throw anything
2: and... that was rednecky enough that we thought was tough. <laughs> <laughs> we settled on the bulldog. We settled on the bulldog.
0: So speaking of the bulldog, I love the uh, logo that you guys have. Was it because you were bullheaded, and that's why you wanted the bulldog? You had like a favorite bulldog grown up named Brute, too. Like how how, how was, was that?
2: It, it It's not that sexy. It just it just kind of <laughs> came together. It was. Uh, it, we had we liked the name Brute because you have to understand that the testing that we were doing at the time was taking this particular machine. And it was called a veracity test. In other words, just beat it until it breaks. And um, because if you were to introduce this technology into any kind of oil field application, and for that case, any commercial application, it needed to be a device that would take a beating. Otherwise, why would you spend the 300 $500, 800 a million dollars apiece on these things? So Brute just sort of, I mean, literally we were exhausted, and it was the first thing we saw on the floor, and it just sort of stuck.
3: Well, it stuck well. I like the name. It's catchy. So, and I think it's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we allowed to that, though. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, I got to tell you, as an investor, <laughs> these guys are bulldogs. Oh. And uh, I go. think that's been an important aspect of it is uh, the tenacity, uh, the belief in what we're doing. And when things look like it's completely impossible and going down the tubes is what's next. So they have
0: that bulldog mentality. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
3: I think so. Would you say Chris has that bulldog mentality as well? He does because right. we'll he fights. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, now okay, listen, so. Chris
1: is has is, is, uh, really been the biggest uh, blessing to Dean and I because he's watched us along the way. I don't think Chris would have uh, continued to invest with us unless he saw certain things happen or had a lot of uh, faith in us and. Um, and at just the right time, in many different occasions, Chris stepped in and really was a blessing to us financially. So sure. he kept us going, and uh, hopefully we can turn that around soon and bless him back. So
3: yeah, it's the, this whole journey. The best part of it has been the faith part of it. Uh, you know, seeing our relationship with the Lord and with each other grow in the aspect of trust and, and working and doing the next right thing, and, and seeing it pay off. It's just really been exciting.
0: Amen, brother. Yeah. yeah. Was there
3: something that about about these two robust
2: men that stood out to you? Were you just like, all right, these guys are oil workers. they you've been through
3: thick and thin. I'm going to stick with them. Or what was it that made you just, like, pick them? Like? Well, um, you know, I initially invested in the company because I, I thought it was a great idea. This technology is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. and I'd seen some presentations and, and studied a little bit. And, uh, you know, the, the original company that was formed to buy the license and to put it into uh, market, to bring it to market, we were successful in raising the money, and it looked like we were on track to getting the license done, but we didn't have a good plan to bring it to market to where, you know, people were going to actually buy it. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, you know that's where these guys came in. I I started feeling a little bit desperate. I talked to a guy, who was a, a personal friend of mine. I told him what was going on, and, and he says, "Yeah, you got a real problem. Uh, you know, if you if you can't show people how it's going to work for them, and make money for their company, you're not ever going to sell it." And and uh, I've been office. I've been coming into the office, and Dean and Pat had been working in the office, and I'd just been watching them. And talking to them, getting to know them, and I I saw some of the stuff they were working on. And uh, I felt real comfortable in investing money with them. I saw that really is the only way we were going to ever move and and successfully bring this product to market. And and that's what they've done. They've worked real hard over the last two and a half years, figuring out a way to put this in a treatment train, in the oil field, and then now in the uh, food waste business. And, and Zach- at, this,
2: at the same time that Chris was involved in going through the emotions that he just described, um, Pat and I were working on projects. And uh, when the reality of what Chris is describing was happening, we stepped in and sort of said, "Okay, here's a business plan that we'd like to to execute that would incorporate what they do and incorporate other things." And we sort of laid it out to the group, and then Chris. Uh, walked over and told us, he said, uh, I I don't think this is going to go anywhere unless it goes through you guys, and that's why he invested in us. So
0: the main thing I get from that is trust the boys and beards. (laughs) Yeah, They got your back. It's it's dove hunting (laughs) season. That's why the
3: beards You know, there there has to be a certain amount of God-given ability, you know, being in the right seat on the bus, I guess you might call it. uh, You know, these guys had the tools to do it, and they had the integrity and the faith. And I I feel like we are equally yoked in that respect. And it just, it was just something that the Lord brought together. And uh, because of that, I I just felt like all along, it was going to be unstoppable. And and it has proven to be so, so far. Earlier,
2: y'all touched on the environment and how y'all's product is pretty eco-friendly. Was that a main factor when y'all were creating y'all's product? Or was that just like a a
1: sweet side thing that came with it? You know, first, we didn't, we didn't invent this product. It was invented by a gentleman named Mike Mitten out of uh, Toronto, Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we observed what he was doing with it. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that Dean and I really loved about this technology is that um, it mimicked what nature does to, to cleanse itself and to oxygenate itself. So mm-hmm. rivers and streams uh, create cavitation, which is why they're so. it's a moving body of water Uh, Pressure and forces create these cavitation events, uh, and that's why rivers are so, you can drink out of them more so than a a lake or something that's that's a still body of water. Oceans create cavitation as well. When ocean waves crash, uh, the, the crashing creates cavitation. There's actually a harmonic frequency, which is another form of cavitation. So when you really start looking at how God created nature to oxygenate itself, which is the... Water has to have oxygen for plant life and fish life and animal life to live off of, and so this cavitation is what does that. It also separates the things that shouldn't be in the water, and uh, so this this gentleman out of Canada who uh, who uh, is a pretty amazing man for inventing something like this. He doesn't he didn't quite know what he had, but but he was really doing something that that God had been doing all along, and this just uh, was a way to harness it.
0: So.
2: Oh, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think I would say that I think early on, seeing what it did got us excited. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a good steward of water, right? There's not a business that we've ever talked to, being the energy business or any kind of processing industrial business. They all want to be a good steward of water. (coughs) There's also reality of the amounts of water or the things that they're using and the waste that's created by what the product that they create. Mm -hmm. There's an offset. We obviously see that the benefit of this machine is taking away waste, but it wouldn't be important to anybody. Let's be really honest. Unless they could make money or see cost savings and things out of yeah. it, so you have to form a business. So with that in mind, not sound trying to sound like a criminal or you know, or someone who doesn't you know uh, appreciate and want to look at the environment. Everybody wants to look at the environment, mm-hmm. but let's be realistic. It has to make money for me to get it into the. So yeah. the biggest concern, and I think we've had is making sure that we control that technology and don't let it get into someone's hand that won't provide it in the environment to help the environment. In other words, someone could just abuse it and use it for other things. We do feel a certain desire and and I think a a responsibility to take it and and help create systems that do what you're talking about, that, that help the environment. But mostly it's, it's, As opposed to just cleaning streams and stuff, which it does that. There's actually a huge project in Florida that's remediating a lake, uh, lakes down there that are dead. It's just taking phosphorus, phosphate out of the water. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, Instead of just doing that, instead of just just cleaning it, it it also reduces the stress of the amount of water that certain companies or industries will use. And so I don't think there's anybody in the world that would want to not be involved in something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. We didn't.
2: Maybe to further, we didn't go into about this. We didn't go into this to just be all about the environment. Mm-hmm. It has to make money. It has to be a, a, a money-making, viable business
0: really for
2: the people to include it. It shouldn't be, but that's the reality of it.
0: Yeah. So based off of that, I think it's clear to see that you guys are always itching, you know, to get all the waste, the grease out of water and separating that. So that is what you're doing, but. Why is the main reason why you're in this business, the industry? What is your main mission behind being a part of Brute?
2: (laughs) Well, in the beginning, it was just cool. You know, it was (laughs) was different than what we did. And it was, uh, I mean, how many times in your life will you be facing the ability to be part of a technology that can be this big of a paradigm shift about how the world works? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we. You know, I. I. My story is is well documented about you know wanting to really ask God to show me a place that to do something I really want to do. My my biggest concern was I wanted to have something that my kids were really proud of, and being in like investment banking and stuff, and you know re- reorganizing companies and things like that, or doing mortgage-backed securitizations and stuff wasn't something that I would want my kid to think. What a legacy. It can be, but it wasn't the one I wanted. My dad's an evil banker. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's one of the guys that this bad movie's about, right? Yeah, so, big um, short, that was my dad. Yeah, the big short, yeah. So I, I think that I wanted, more than anything, something to, to have meaning. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what that meant, but I've made the joke to Pat a few times, I like, go, oh, be careful what you ask God for, because he'll give you water, you know, <laughs> which is biblical, which is a lot of things, but that's literally what we got. So we actually watched, and I'll give credit, uh, this is a podcast, so I'll give credit to Simon Sinek is on the web. If you ever get a chance, go watch his TED, uh, Ted Talk, uh, mm-hmm. Simon Sinek on Start With Why or Begin With Why. Okay. Uh, that's the title, Begin With Why or Start With Why, one of those things. And it's an amazing talk. And he actually talks about Apple and the reason you buy an Apple computer versus the reason you don't buy these other ones. And it's all about Apple represents this meaning, Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a deeper meaning. It's about where they as a culture are, not just this machine. Other companies make the machine, but you're buying Apple. You're buying into this culture and this idea. And so it's deeper. And Steve Jobs is tremendous at that. Um, It was an interesting story. We did some research early on trying to find our why. And in that conversation, we researched and found uh, this whole interview about Steve Jobs. And in the interview, he talks about one of the things that shaped him. This is one of the early interviews. I think you can download it on YouTube. It's like from the early 80s or something like Mm -hmm. that. And he talks about that he had read (coughs) in Scientific American magazine this article about caloric intake versus output, energy output by species. And it rated all the species on the world, on the the whole planet, about how much they could get energy-wise out of the littlest amount of caloric intake. And it was the uh, Californian condor, which was the number one it could get more energy got a very little caloric intake and number 16 was like the, the a human right so when you put a human on a bicycle it was like times 3 of the condor so what he said is that we as humans and as a species are machine people machine makers we're we're we we create solutions and stuff mm-hmm. and i think that's how we saw what brute could be is that two guys that have some great ideas and have a lot of brute uh, passion and and grit, um, could basically show the world what a machine could do. And that's what the reactor is all about.
0: And you're doing that. So, yeah, keep up the brute.
3: (laughs) You know, from an investor's perspective, something that's really exciting that I think every investor would agree with is having something that you can show... Customers, regardless of the application, how they can become the low-cost producer in their field, whether it's uh, food waste, you know, oil field upgrading oil, you're you're basically going to people, and and saying, you know, I'm not asking you to spend a bunch of money. I'm showing you how to spend less money on something you're already doing, uh, and and that that helps you, you know, whether the oil uh, prices go up or down whatever, you know, if you're showing somebody how to be the low-cost producer, uh, you're adding money to their bottom line.
0: So it's just making sense for them to yeah. choose you yeah. guys to yeah. save time and money yeah. and help the environment. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So <coughs> speaking of oil, so you mentioned earlier how oil was $80 a barrel and then it dropped to 30 So then you chose the other low-hanging fruit, which was the food and beverage industry, would you think about maybe saying bye-bye to the Coke brothers and maybe going back to the oil industry if it did spike up again to $80 a barrel? Or are you just going to stick with, you know, the Coke bros? And, <laughs> <laughs> like, what are your thoughts well, on that? Well,
2: first, Coke is a long way away. We get contacted <laughs> by other people, but uh, we're a long way from closing that deal. Our real partner right now, and it should be said, is Warner Electric. They're out of Cottage Grove, Minnesota. We're in the long haul with them on food and beverage. I don't think we're going to walk away from that. That's a that's a business that um, it's 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 something that we not only have the technology to make a real difference immediately with like a bolt-on solution, but they bring in a sales force and a marketing team and it, it, environment. Uh, the, the the whole industry environment that they have is so ideal for growing a really solid company. That's why we're excited about that. Oil is going to go up. And we actually entertain uh, projects now. I think we're going to look at developing our old business with the Warner guys. Uh, yeah. They're actually going to be a partner with some of the stuff that we're doing. We're going to take it project by project by project. Uh, one of the insights, we've actually gone a couple of times to Washington, D.C., and we've appeared before several congressional members. We addressed the EPA, and we went to the EPA building, and we've done just some appropriation committee meetings, including the Department of Energy mm-hmm. and um, – our meeting with the EPA was very insightful. Uh, uh, any cowboy fans out there, the guy that was the head guy that's there is named Bill Bates. So Bill Bates is an old cowboy, but uh, this is not that same Bill Bates. But we never forget his name because that was his name. But we met with him, and we learned that they're actually in charge of trying to rewrite the Water Act, the Clean Water Act. And um, there's specific amendments in there, one called the Bevel Amendment. And the Bevel Amendment allows a lot of leeway with regards to mining and oil and gas and and industrial facilities for what they're able to do given the, the standards under the EPA. Well, we have a real good belief system that from that meeting that there are some massive changes that are being invoked into the EPA's Clean Water Act. So we actually feel um, a responsibility to kind of get this technology into the food and beverage industry as well, because they're all going to be facing some major, major changes uh, in environmental law that are coming down the, the hook. And the fact... Uh, Pat's done a, a really nice brochure that we do that we give out to people that, and a lot of our literature and a lot of our things that we have, highlights the exact amount of what people expect that should be being spent today in the billions of dollars. And then you see the deficit of what they're actually spending versus what they should be spending to prepare for this. There's a massive gap in there. So we feel like that's really our market capitalization right there.
0: Yeah, it sounds like this industry definitely isn't going away anytime soon. No. And you're going to have a lot more clients and people to be working with in the future. So yeah. that's exciting stuff. Yeah. Do you have... <laughs> <laughs> Jerry's having a little trouble Um <laughs> So what is the biggest, the best thing that you guys are thinking of <laughs> that's happening maybe within the next couple of years? Like what are you most excited about today? Well,
1: I think you asked a question about the oil and gas industry. Um, you, you know, it's, it's been the hardest road. There's been lots of up and downs when, when working within that space. A lot of it has to do with prices, but not all of it. Because as Chris said, if you can reduce their overhead to produce, then you're still helping them make a better margin. Mm-hmm. But instead of, in the beginning, we were trying to somewhat be all things to all people when it comes to dealing with produced water. And one of the things that we've maybe matured as we've grown as a company is that when we go back into the oil space, we're going to choose more niches. So there's a couple of projects. Uh, one being the upgrading of oil uh, in Canada. They produce what's called uh, bitumen uh, through processes that are different than how we uh, produce oil here in the states. And uh, it's a it's a much cheaper product. It's uh, it's raw materials valued at about $15 when our oil is at 45, and then. You have to upgrade it uh, through a coking process, and that gets it to around a $30 value. And then they have to dilute it to get it to the refinery. So it's a very expensive process, yet in Canada, it's the second largest reserve in the world. And so one of the things that uh, we can do with this reactor is is, uh, process and do the things that the coking process does for a lot less energy and a lot less footprint and a lot less cost. And so we're focusing on that as a
2: specific project. Proving that up would just be a billion dollar industry overnight yeah uh, Rockefeller's (laughs) awards so so what he's talking about is taking that crude product running it through our machine and then cracking it to instead of sending it to a refinery we can do it there locally and it increases the value of that product for the nation of canada the the suppliers that are there
1: yeah yeah and then you know instead of trying to uh, be a complete alternative to downhole disposal or turning around for uh, freshwater fracking uh, you know, there's older fields, they have what's called water floods. And it's, it's when the normal pumping process and the pressures under, in the earth aren't enough to get the oil out. You then have to inject water and then eventually CO2 and water to pressurize those zones so that the oil comes up with it. But in those processes of extracting the oil, the water that they're re-injecting into those floods still has somewhere between a half percent or more of oil left in it. And one of the things that the cavitation reactor does very well is is captures solution oil. So we're gonna instead of trying to clean water so that it doesn't have to be injected, we're just gonna focus on water floods and extracting the balance of that oil, so that you can increase a, a field's production by 100, 150 barrels or something like that. So, so that's when when we go back in the oil space, that's
2: gonna be our approach. A little different. Than a little before. strategic ventures. Mm-hmm. With these, this application, that application, yeah, they on yeah. themselves might become a bigger business.
3: Nice so. billion-dollar side
1: jobs. Who wouldn't want that? <laughs> Takes time. <laughs> so, what role has grit and determination played in your lives? Y'all touched on that during CEO chapel. Well, this doesn't sound like a gritty thing to say, but in this process, I've cried a couple of times. <laughs> That's true grit. It's true grit. <laughs> in all seriousness, it's. Um, you just you have to believe in what you're doing enough that when the money's gone or when, when something falls through or some event changes that, as Chris said earlier, you just say, okay, what's next? You, you
2: pull yourself mm. up off the ground. and It's been hard enough to where we he and I have been in the cab of a truck or something driving from one meeting that just went phenomenal and we knew we just went over a huge barrier and that mm. we were getting to the next level. That we would go from point A to point B, and both of us would just be so chucked up we couldn't talk. <laughs> so we've had those moments, so which means it's worth it. It also means that it's been that bad. So yeah, uh, at least but you have each other. You have shoulders to <laughs> cry on. <laughs> but the grit, determination—I yeah, I, I I would pat myself a little bit and pat pat on the back for a lot of that. Is not hearing no, or hearing no and then not caring about it. Yeah. It is a real talent that I didn't know I had because I didn't have it. I think I just got it, Uh, maybe out of pure stubbornness or stupidity. But, uh, you know, look, uh, when you have three or four kids and you're getting into your 40s and stuff and you have something this important, you'll suffer for it. It, it, You won't have to create a a brute or a bug. (coughs) It'll just happen. Or, Or you're in the wrong deal. And, uh, you know, I had been, as an executive in the finance industry, I had been to uh, conventions and seminars and, you know, executive coaching projects and camps and three-day deals, and I'd been to a lot of those things. And I remembered I believed in what they said, and the things that they would call you for was, you you got to want it every day, you got to, you know, all these little things that coaches say. And I believed it. But I, didn't, I couldn't apply it to what I was doing now because I didn't like that that much. But I take those sort of lessons and stuff, and I can constantly see while you're running your own business and doing what we do. I do pull upon those old lessons of what those guys said to me back then. It means more now because it's my
1: I actually think
2: everybody has the ability to have the grit.
1: You know, sometimes people try to say, oh, those guys have real grit. But I think Dean's right if you feel like you're doing the right thing and it's it's meaningful and it's, it's about legacy, it's about uh, something that, that God gave you that you didn't make happen, he just it, he presented it to you and then you have a responsibility, I think that's where the grit comes from. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's uh, when you feel that it's your responsibility and you feel like it's worthwhile and that the end game can be
3: mm-hmm.
1: big enough and important enough, then you're going to just keep figuring it out. So if somebody doesn't have that, and you see somebody and say, well, they didn't have grit, I think Dean's right. It's not the right thing.
2: It's not the right thing. I, yeah. And I think we would really be in trouble here if anyone listens to this. <laughs> we if anyone listens to we, no didn't, one if we, <laughs> <if> we <laughs> I didn't want to hear that. If, yeah, that's all your friends, really. if we didn't at least say that the reason we're here is because two amazing women, and that's our wives. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then the families behind those wives, my family, my wife's family, unbelievable. Um, just non-judgmental, um, suffering with us most of the time. <laughs> are you getting judgment? Um, just, just, just the support has been unbelievable, and I know that there's no way. Just as much as I could say, I couldn't do anything without Pat. I couldn't do anything without my wife, and he's the same way. Well, if
0: yeah. your wives are listening to this, you guys are getting brownie points. Because, yeah, we need them after three years of building this <laughs> Yeah, keep talking them up. what's good.
3: Well, I, I wanna attest to the fact that this is true you know there's been many different occasions and and I believe what they were saying about basically having a vision in your mind and your heart that this is going to work and that if there's something that stands in the way then I'm just I'm just not seeing something right now that's the answer. I I can remember when we had gotten this one particular group that put you know I think eight hundred thousand dollars into the business, we were proving up the equipment, and really felt like this was going to be our answer. And all of a sudden, things blew up. And I can remember being in an airport in Phoenix, and Dean just called me and said, "The deal's off." You know, that's. Uh, I mean, he was just straightforward about it. He didn't didn't make any excuses. Next thing I know these two guys were on a plane to Canada and put down a placeholder on the food waste license. <laughs> and I can remember another time and I
2: can remember your voice acclamations on both of those phone calls were very different. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah. But but another time you were talking about the family aspect of it one Sunday afternoon I went over to Pat's house and I knew that we were just down to nothing money wise. And I went over there, and, you know, he has the sweetest family, both of them do, right? just wonderful families, but but they were just all, I mean, it was like nothing was different. The kids were playing, and, and uh, uh, Carmen, his wife, was was walking around with the baby, and, you know, you'd never know there was anything going on, and Pat, uh, I hope you don't mind me telling no, this, okay. but he was, all he had was $20. I mean, that was it. He's got five mouths to feed, six mouths to feed, and... Probably you give two more for him. But, uh, <laughs> I'll take them. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, that's but but he was just waiting for that next. What what's next? And you know, sure enough, it it worked out. We had something next to go to, and so mm-hmm. going from twenty dollars sitting there on the table to you know where we are now. And I mean, that's just one time. Yeah.
0: So you just had to have the faith to persevere. Yeah, and yeah. get your grid on to yeah. just yeah, keep
3: going. Just, to, tell the story great. about what your mom said about they can't eat you.
2: We've brought that up <laughs> so many times. <laughs> so uh, I was in college, and uh, I was in California, and I worked at Shearson Lehman, which is like a Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs type place. And everybody I worked with was, like, filthy rich, okay? Yeah. And we were just dying. I mean, my dad had started a new business, and there was three of us in college, plus my dad was supporting my brother-in-law through law school, and it was just, you know, it was just tough. Yeah. And uh, I remember one day, you know, I was just around all these people that had so much money, and just it was just stupid. They were like, I don't know what kind of car to order this month, and so of <laughs> things like that. I came home just really depressed, and... Uh, for a lot of different reasons. And I, and my mom and I were sitting in the kitchen. And I just burst and cried. she's like, what's wrong? And I said, well, you know, everybody's got it and we don't. <laughs> just sort of the whole thing. And she cried a little bit with me. And she put her arms around me. And she said, you know what? I always think they just they can't eat us. And it made me laugh. Because <laughs> it was a stupid thing to say. <laughs> but it was also a mom thing to say. And so uh, Pat and I have had moments where we have really got to Backs against the wall, and I had said that, and I told him the story, and so he sort of has used it as his brace, uh, they can't eat us. What what does that
1: mean, they can't eat us? But I mean, you're down to 20 (laughs) bucks. You you know you have family and friends and loved ones or whatever. You know that you get to a point where you realize uh, stuff is just stuff, and material is just material, and God's going to provide, and he has so many times throughout this process that it's, uh, that, that's why we, we, we can never
2: walk away from it. So. I tell a lot of people, I don't think I ever really had faith. I mean, I told people, oh, I believe in God and I have this. But I don't think I had faith until I did this. Yeah. And I've constantly been reminded of every time he's answered yes or no, it's been dead on.
0: So in the and it's not been on
2: my terms either.
0: In the banking world, though, like you didn't feel as close to God, possibly, until like you became an entrepreneur. I don't want to like
2: put a curse on the banking <laughs> world. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, Tell
0: us all the stuff. Those two don't make savvy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I,
2: I, I don't know if it, was, if it was what I was doing. It certainly was the industry. I know some wonderful, godly people, some amazing people. For their life and for their story and for what God was using them for, I think they were the right thing. I think mean, I was in the wrong thing, especially the last five years I did it. I hated it. I hated everything about it. I hated me in it, and that was that was just something. And it couldn't have just been because I was being stubborn. It was because I wasn't meant to be there, and I was still there. I was hung into that. Mm-hmm. Once you get making uh, money and in a job, it's and you got kids and everything. It's hard to walk away and just like yeah. throw it to the wind. So um, I was I was sort of put in a position. Uh, so to answer your question, I don't think it was the banking world. I think it was me. I think I think you have to find your plan. It's like nobody's going to ever redo an entrepreneurial business exercise and recreate what we've done. It's our deal. It's 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 it was given to us and we're responsible for it. We we feel a deep responsibility for making it work. But it, it won't be repeated. It can be well, re- lessons can be learned. Lessons you. can be learned, but other people will do your journey will be different than mine.
0: So what lessons do you have to give to you? just some students listening or whoever's listening right now to the podcast that would be words of wisdom for us to gain from your experiences. I think we've <laughs> touched on some of them. Yeah,
2: yeah, I was trying to think of what we haven't just touched on. I yeah. I, I think um, bad news is good news is a big lesson is that you plan and work and give everything you got but the bad news that you think is the end is is just it's just a It's a change to the new beginning.
1: It's like a train track that, you know, the track shifts to another Y in the train track. It's like the bad news just shifted you a different direction Mm -hmm. that you weren't planning on.
2: The other thing I would say is while you're building your business and while you're, you're asking people for money or you're trying to build something, you're not going to work for some company that's already there. You're building something. So you might as well be the best you you can be. And you're not qualified to play any other part. So don't pose. Don't try and be something that you think the investors or your customers want. Be you and be comfortable with that. And it'll come out. It'll come out that you're not everything that they thought that they were looking for. But when they choose you, you're the real you, and it'll be much more successful than you faking it. And... I don't know that we learned that as much as we were forced to be that way on everything. When you work in other environments, stuff sometimes the banking world or whatever, you've got to put on some sort of air. There's a, it takes several meetings to find out really who this guy is or whatever. You can't be like that. You can be that way. You don't have to bleed all over in the first meeting. But <laughs> you certainly need to be honest about and direct and, and transparent is a big word that we use. The only way they're going to put money into you, the only way they're going to support you, the only way they're going to want to really partner with you, besides the fact that your product is awesome and that this is a great opportunity for them to make money and you, is because they believe that they can trust you. Yeah. If they can't trust you, it's because you've done something wrong, probably trying to be something you're
0: not. So just be authentic.
2: Yeah. Here, here's an example of that. We've used the word a lot
1: today, uh, traction. And... The company that we're partnering with in a lot of ways, they're a distributor, they're a financial partner and a sales team in the food and beverage industry. They they had an experience with another group that said it's ready to go to market. And it wasn't ready to go to market. And so they, they opened up their Rolodex of customers. It wasn't ready. And they had egg on their face because of it. We come in and we're kind of enemy number two walking into those old shoes because we represent the same technology. So there was a lot to overcome there. But in that process, Dean and I never said uh, that it's ready to go to market right now. But we said, here's our plan. Here's what we're, we're doing now for development purposes. Here's the next phase that we can get it to. We believe in three months we'll be at this uh, door. And then in the next three months after that, we'll be ready to go to market. So we were just much more honest and transparent and, and we walked out with the best relationship we've got. And now they're our partners. And now they're partners. So, but if you try to pretend that you're further along or somewhere you're not, it's, it's going to hurt you and it's going to go the other direction.
0: Mm-hmm. So be true, genuine, yeah. and authentic.
3: Yeah. yeah. Great. Thank Surface the truth and be willing to accept truth even when it hurts. Mm. Yeah. What it. Well, it made y'all realize this? You said that you were forced when
1: you started, when y'all hopped into the e-world, but was there something else prior to that that made y'all... Really open up. You, you know, I, I think uh, anytime you try to project that, even talking about this technology, for Dean and I to talk about the, uh, the actual science behind this technology, if we try to pretend that we're scientists or engineers or whatever, <laughs> it, it just doesn't ever come off well. You end up sitting across the table from somebody that knows more than you do right off the bat, and you're <laughs> exposed pretty quickly. So I think you just kind of learn the hard way that listen, just be exactly who you are. Talk about why
2: you're doing it and, and uh, where we're heading, <coughs> how long it's going to take. And, and in 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 the same vein, the people that are a lot smarter than you will tell you a lot more because they feel like you're like that, and you're not threatening yeah. than they would if we were, even if we were equal. Like if we if we have it, we have a CEO and he's an engineer and a chemist and all this, he's brilliant. Don't tell him I said that. But, uh, uh, he, we can get him in a room with other engineers and stuff, and it's like the battle of the bands or something. They just like you know try to out-engineer each other in the room. And stuff. He doesn't as much, but other guys do. You can just tell they immediately just put up this thing and start saying, well, I know about this and, this. and you're like, I wouldn't even want to be in that conversation. We like to be the two dummies in the corner that happen to own all the technology, so let's talk about doing business together.
0: <laughs> Well, yeah. it's working out for you guys, but thank you so much for being here. It has been a huge hoop hanging out with the Brute Boys. <laughs> so, yes, thank you. Thank you so Thanks much. For- uh,